All right, welcome to episode 13 for the Best Side Podcast. Now, balance is one of those things in life that people talk about all the time. How to balance uh, everything that's going on, how to stay sane. And this episode definitely speaks to some of that balance. And the balance I'm talking about in this instance is the balance between being selfish and the balance between being selfless. Now, often they're put on the scale and pitted against each other, and we're trying to weave our way. We know we put a lot of energy into other people when sometimes we need to be selfish and put some energy into ourselves. We look out for other people and put them first. Uh, In a lot of areas in life, being selfless, because that's what we're taught uh, is the way to go, but then we neglect ourselves a lot of the time, and what that can lead to uh, is all sorts of complications when perhaps being a bit more selfish um, is actually better long term. This episode speaks to that, plus a whole lot more. Michelle dances through all sorts of journeys, uh, all sorts of hurdles that she's had throughout life, uh, from things going on with the family, from her own personal struggles, and she even has some golden gems in here about how to meditate. If you've never meditated before, if it's something you've been thinking about, I know I've spoken to a lot of listeners uh, who want to know how to do it or want to know more or find that they find it quite difficult, make sure you're listening in here and uh, she offers some practical advice that might help take a bit of pressure off yourself that you might be putting on yourself when it comes to it. So let's get into it. This is episode number 13 of the Best Side Podcast. We are catching up with Michelle Matangi. Well, first question I always ask yep. is, is where are you from and where did you grow up and all that sort of stuff? Sounds Take us back. We'll start from the yeah. beginning. It's Taranaki, born and bred. Mm-hmm. So, um, was born in New Plymouth, but then actually grew up in Stratford. Um, okay. So, did all my schooling pretty much in Stratford until we were about, I think I would have been about 12 when we moved up to New Plymouth. And, um, you know, I went from a pretty, you know, cruisy co-ed school to, you know, a, a much more refined school and I kind of didn't feel like I fit in, you know, as, as you do. And, um... Was it just from being in out of town or just the change of scenery? I think or? both. Being out of town, obviously, like, you know, you knew and the whole, like, you know, new and new Plymouth and Stratford was where all my friends were, so you leave that environment and then go to a new environment. And school, I was pretty... Primary school, um, as a kid in Stratford, where I grew up, was great. Like, I loved it. But as soon as I came up here, it was just a whole different ball game. Mm. And the whole school system, I don't know, I just didn't... Yeah, I had a lot of family stuff going on as well. Like, my dad was really sick, um, like, mentally and alcoholic. And, you know, just a lot of intense home stuff. So yeah. you had a lot going on. I had a lot going on, and I tend to be, I, you know... Um, I know a lot of people in that situation tend to leave the home environment to go to school because that's like a safe environment. Yep. Whereas mine was more like I wanted to nurture my mum at home and look after because of you know what was going on. So I tended to not want to go to school um, because of what was going on. And I didn't really learn very well at school, um, not in that environment. Like I was much better in a one-on-one situation as opposed to that big learning. You know, I didn't sort of catch up the same way as everyone else did. And... So I felt like I just was really not that good at school. Um, but, yeah, so, so yeah, we spent basically, yeah, my childhood in, in Stratford was pretty good. Um, How old were you when you moved up? Yeah, I reckon I was, I'm, I'm just trying to think back, I reckon I was about 12. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I remember my schooling at, at 
intrepid being pretty good apart from the fact that I had a lot of home stuff you know my dad got sick when I was three so there was definitely um, oh so that was starting from way back then starting from way back yeah so he's been um you well back then it was manic depression now it's you know bipolar the same thing it's just different wording yeah so um yeah it was a pretty turbulent up and down environment and yeah but but I, I still managed to have a lot of good friends and school was really good but then when I came up here it was just so different and I don't know, I guess I just got older and then I was a little bit more aware of what was going on and, you know. And did you go back to Stratford very often once you came up to town? Not really. No? Not really. Nah, kind of, we just, we were just here and, and, um, my brother was the same. He was, a, you know, I think he struggled a little bit with going into a different school here, whereas my sister was a lot older and she'd already done all her schooling, so she was, you know, outworking yep. and it was different. But, um... Yeah, like I still, you know, made friends and stuff. But yeah, school, I didn't finish school. I was very much um, the <laughs> the rebel and the, well, not the rebel. I don't even <laughs> want to call myself the rebel, but I was I was not the cool kid and I wasn't the geek. I was just like the in-betweener with like two friends and, yeah. you know, we would. I, yeah, I, did, I didn't apply myself at school. Obviously, I had a lot going on. So I was the kid sort of smoking weed in the bushes and, you know. Doing just, all that stuff? Just, you know, bunking at school and just not really... Yeah, and I look back and I really regret that I didn't, you know, well, I mean, it's not that I didn't know better, it's just that, oh, what I was going through at that time, I was just like... But how are you supposed to know? Yeah, you're not supposed to know. Yeah. So, I mean, in hindsight, you look back and you're like, oh, I wish I had applied myself, but, you know... Didn't. You can only use what you have, <laughs> so, eh? Like right. at the end of the day, and I think, like I remember, if I think back to when I was at school and stuff, I did, like it's real bad now. Well, not real bad, but it's a bit strange now to think about it because I'm so different now. But I know at the time, you know, being so easily um, impressionable, mm, like totally. I, I did compare my home life to like your classic TV yeah, family, sure, and so. I can tell by the way you're talking, like, mm. you went through similar things as well. Yeah, definitely. So what were some of the things that you kind of saw happening in your family that you were like, man, this doesn't happen with anyone else? Um, well, I guess, uh, I guess it was that sort of, on the outside, from the outside looking, and I guess you could say, it, we kind of, it looked like we were okay, because we had, a, like, we had a nice house, right? Mm-hmm. But we just had no cash flow. Like, my mum was very, very good at budgeting, so we, you know, lived on a benefit and all of that. Yeah. So, it's not, we were probably quite poor, but really didn't, mum was so, so good at budgeting that we didn't appear to be poor. Like, yeah. that, you know, um, so there was that kind of, there's that sort of, I don't know, um, juxtaposition between those two things where you look like you're one thing one thing but you're really not that like you know um and so like i remember going to this new school that we went to and everyone had label clothing and my mum always made our clothes and we all we had you know hand-me-downs or just cheap and stuff and i remember like begging mum to like can i have a double bond top i I just remember it being a real big deal like I i think i was 12 and i was just like it was such a big deal but um yeah i guess like uh, you know, I didn't really want to often bring kids home to, you know, like, you know, you go to someone else's house and they had this like family that was all, you know, together and then I'd bring you home and it was just like, not like that. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. Did you spend a lot of time in other kids' houses? I did, then? yeah, I did. But we also, I don't know, like even though it's, it's interesting because even though we had dysfunction, we still had a pretty cool home in terms of where we lived, like we had a big house and... Um, 
you know, people still came over and like I said, it kind of looked functional, but it just wasn't. It looked functional on the outside, but it was very dysfunctional on the inside. You know, um, like, yeah, it's hard without going into the graphic detail of it, but, you know. You can if you want to. Yeah, you don't, you don't like, to. I mean, at the end of the day, like, you know, um, probably what I was dealing with was like, when my father tried to take his own life like several times throughout my childhood, whereas my friends weren't going through any of that. Mm. And so you try and just be normal and fit in. And I remember particularly one um, time when I was, I think we'd moved up to New Plymouth at this point, and I would have been about 13, and, and um, my father had taken a substantial overdose and um, very mentally unwell and also obviously alcoholic. But, um, he got right. He got taken to the um, ICU, and he was on, like you know, they had him hooked up to life and stuff. And you know, all my friends were all going to like one of those rooftop disco things. I remember like oh, you know, yeah. how they used to have those. That is OG. Yeah, totally. Yeah, <laughs> I'm 38. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so everyone's you know getting in the car, and we're all about to go, and I see my father being driven. Um, sorry, a police car. Um, driving a police officer driving our car and then an ambulance and I was like oh my god you know and I'm like all the age of I think I was 12 13 so you know everyone's going to that so I'm like actually I can't you know hold out of that not going to that now you're going up to the hospital and you know your father's so who came and got you from the I think mum would have done that oh yeah yeah but I just remember it being a very like oh well like this like other people probably aren't really dealing with this sort of situation like not in my immediate friends anyway like yep. was, they were all quite they came from quite wealthy homes and they were all um you know had really great parents that were all you know from what i could see anyway. i was gonna ask like in richard's yeah. do you have you learned anything that says the contrary like did you later find out in life that some of those people were going through some pretty um different yeah things? and I, just in different ways okay. i think in different ways like um you know i had two very good friends one that her parents were amazing and they were kind of like the parents that took me under their wing, always took me on the holidays and, you know, were very cool. caring. And they still are. They live really, they live around the corner. They're really cool people and they're just like amazing. Um, whereas the other one, you know, they were quite dysfunctional. I didn't really realise how dysfunctional they were, but on a different, in a different way, you know. Yep. Um, but I think that's the thing that like, you learn that everyone has some sort of dysfunction in some way. And, but when you're young, I just don't, you just don't have the language and you don't understand that that is going on. Mm. You think you're literally the only one going through it. I was thinking, you know? I was going to say, like, is it, it's a weird thing. I don't know if it's selfishness per se, but you do. You think you're, you think you're the son of the universe yeah. and everything going on is happening to you yeah, and no yeah. one else. Yeah, and I think that's just perception. And I guess when you've had trauma, like I've done a lot of research and I listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff. Um, Dr. Gabba Mate talks about um, trauma. And so when you experience trauma when you're a child, so, you know, that really young age, um, it definitely uh, co- colours your world in quite a different way and then you're mm. more likely to have addictions when you get older, which was definitely true for me. I definitely battled with, um, you know, food, alcohol, shopping, every kind of, like, you know, so-called addiction, I guess you could call, but really what, to me, what that is, is was a lack of connection. Okay. So to me addiction is generally because you're lacking connection with um with people really at the end of the day like true deep authentic connection i'm not just talking about having a couple of mates and you know i have a surface conversation i'm talking like that deep connection when you feel like 
you are really heard and seen and understood. Um, that's what I have come to realise. And then having that connection with yourself, like I never, I think because of the trauma that I've gone through, I never really knew how to even connect with myself mm. because I was in this kind of flight fight situation for so long. And I had my first panic attack, like, and I'm talking like actual world spinning panic attack where I thought I was actually going to die at the age of eight. Far out. You know. Do you remember it quite yeah, vividly? Very vividly. I can you can you walk us through that a yeah, bit? Yeah, totally. The only reason why I'm, I'm particularly interested in this selfishly, so listeners, if you don't want to hear, I'm sorry, <laughs> but um, I I'm, I'm changed now, but yeah. for a long time I thought panic attacks were a crock of shit. Oh, so yeah, I know there's yeah, going to be other sure. people thinking that too. Yeah, totally. So yeah, if you can take us through kind of how yeah. that, if you do remember. Yeah. Oh god, I remember so well. Um, yeah, panic attack is a funny thing because panic attacks. They, you know, you see it on like a movie and they're like, oh, I had a panic attack and it's just so like traumatised and it's like, you know what, like they are real terrifying, like life altering situations. So for me, it was um, another situation where my family had taken too much medication. We were on a family holiday at Fitzroy Beach because we lived in New Plymouth. Uh, sorry, we lived in Stratford, so we were at okay. Fitzroy Beach um, and he went manic and had psychosis. So I don't know if anyone knows what psychosis is, but that's basically voices. So he's, you know, hearing voices, thinking that he is communicating with, say, like the Prime Minister. So for anyone that doesn't understand how psychosis works, and when they say hear voices, what does that mean? That means they're hearing voices outside of themselves, not um, their own inner dialogue, right? Mm. So we have our own inner dialogue, which is, you know... Is there another term for when you hear your own voice a lot, well, is when it? You, or not, I mean, I think that that's just what people think. When they say, when someone says, this person has psychosis and they hear voices, they think it's their own inner ah. dialogue because everyone has inner dialogue, yeah, right? We all sure. have an inner dialogue saying, you're not good enough or you're not this enough or, you know, such and such, you should do this or you shouldn't do that. But what psychosis is, is the voices are actually outside of yourself and it's like someone is talking to you. Shit. So they believe that someone is literally there. So it's it's super intense, like, yeah, so you had paranoia and all of that. Um, typical bipolar disorder with psychosis. So, um, yeah, it's pretty intense. Was I mean, he diagnosed, like, yeah, yeah. almost immediately sort of thing, so you knew growing up? Or was it something um, you learned, like, partway through your upbringing? No, or? so he um, was diagnosed at the age of 27, I think it was. Okay. And I think I would have been three when he got sick so right. he actually thought he was Jesus Christ when he yeah because he was pretty pretty bad yeah um and they didn't he wasn't um he went through all sorts of stuff I don't want to tell too much of the story because it's you know it's his story private, it's but, his story yeah. um you know it was a very turbulent situation where um the mental health system was not what it is now and to be fair the mental health system is still not very good now okay. <laughs> you know it's still not very um i think they do their best with what they've got in terms of funding but i just don't think it's um it's not a, a well uh oiled machine so to speak in my opinion yep um, we'll come. We'll um, come back to the yeah, mental health yeah, system because I think that because you're not the huge. only one. Oh, you're not the only one talking about yeah, that. Yeah. But yeah, I guess if you take us to when you were eight, and yeah. you, and so obviously we've we've understood now why yeah, it happened. Why, yeah. But what happened? What so, did you go through? Yeah. So um, I guess I felt like you know he was being taken away, and this was all very chaotic. And I remember just at, I went to the to- I went to go to the toilet um, away from the campsite. So I was at the campsite and went to go to the toilet. And in the toilet was when I actually felt like I was having um, 
as it, I don't even know if you want to even call it an out-of-body experience, but I was pretty much just, the whole world was spinning around me and I felt like I was just, um, you know, going to die, really. It's, it's sweaty palms, it's like dizziness, it's um, just absolute terror, like, and it's really hard to describe because people just sort of think, oh, God, like, you know, you don't really understand it until you've gone through it. Mm. Um, where I literally just felt like my world was being tipped upside down. So it was that very, it's the feeling unsafe, like super unsafe, that you are so terrified, like you are, your life is at stake kind of thing. That's pretty much what a, a real true panic attack will tend to do to someone. Um, and obviously they can last different lengths and stuff like that. Absolutely. For, for you in that time, how in long did time, you... In that time, I mean, it was such a long time ago, it's really hard to nail down like an actual oh, time. Oh yeah, of course. But I would, I would say I was there for you know, probably five minutes in, in that sort of situation, sort of not knowing what's going on, and then went back, you know, to see mum, and just, you know, it was just, you know, they took me to the doctor, and the doctor didn't really know what was going on, they just sort of thought it was just some sort of, I don't know, um, they actually, I used to have this really weird thing that just makes me sound super crazy when I say it, but I had this thing where I would almost, um, I could see, I, I could almost if I could stand on one side of the room and look at the other side, but it felt like I was looking back at it. And it's really, really hard to, you think, what? No, and they called it reality to vision because they had no other term to use because they were just like, what is going on with this woman? Like this girl, young girl. Yeah. But it was just stress. It was literally just stress. And my, I think I was, I think we have spirit, body, all of that. And I think I was just leaving my body because it was so traumatic and what was going on. Ah, yeah. And looking back at you, uh, yeah, and well, looking back not... at my life, well, just because I had left my body because it was so unsafe to me to be in that scenario, and so that was it was just a coping mechanism. That's what I believe. I yep. mean, you know, everyone's got their own situation, but um, it was a pretty true. You know, it's like, hard to prove stuff you can't prove, but yeah, that's, that's just right. Your... That's just how I dealt with it. But yeah, so yeah, I was eight when that happened, and then um, they sort of. I, I guess I just had a very. I don't know. Like, when I really think back to it, there was just so many... I was always feeling quite unwell as a kid. Um, like, growing up, there was always some sort of, you know, I had dizziness or there was some sort of other stuff going on. Um, I always felt very, you know... I wouldn't even say I was necessarily depressed. I probably got depression, like, later on in life. When I got to the age of 21, I got um, a quite severe depression and was diagnosed with like clinical depression um, and anxiety. But again, um, a lot of that was to me um, not really dealt with very well. Um, always just that, like, you know, take this medication and do that. And I just took it for three months and then weaned myself off because I was like, I feel like not me and this is awful. And, so yes. Yeah, what in what way? So the medication made you feel worse. Um. Yeah. For me, it did. But to be fair, for that time, it probably saved my life. Okay. To be quite honest, um, I was pretty bad. I didn't really leave the house. I couldn't go to a supermarket. If I went to a supermarket, generally, I got so overwhelmed that I would leave the trolley in the middle of the aisle and and flee. You know, I've, it's, it's, I've heard of that happening. That, yeah, that, like, yeah, I couldn't go to a, um, anywhere that had really bright lights, like like fluorescent lighting or somewhere where I couldn't escape from easily, like even going out for dinner, going to the movies, anything like being in traffic was a massive trigger for me. Mm-hmm. If I was sitting at the lights and, you know, I couldn't actually move, I felt trapped and I couldn't get out of that situation. Um, 
so that's yeah it's going a long way back it's been a while since i felt like that like it's I'm been glad. a long time thank goodness um i've done a lot of work in between on you know a lot of self self work um and a lot of uh therapy and um healing all sorts of stuff that i've done to help myself which um, we're obviously going to touch on as well because yeah, totally. i'm excited to hear yeah yeah because you know, what you've described is you know pretty intense in some parts yeah well, yeah depending like, on your own well, you know? I, that's the thing like everyone goes through their I, this is where i I think at times I would be like, oh, well, it's not that big a deal because people go through other stuff. They grow up in yeah. really, really violent homes and they grow up with drug addicted, you know, there's all sorts of things that people have. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's your experience and it's your perspective. And that's all you've got to go on. So yeah. whether someone went through something worse or better is actually irrelevant because what you've gone through is your own experience. And that's all you've got to draw from. A way a guest you know? said it to me, um, another guest that I had on was that, you know, it doesn't matter if you're drowning in a puddle or drowning in a pool, you're drowning. And That's people right. need to stop comparing who's drowning the That's most. That's right, yeah. Um, and, it's so not, and it's not often I'm drowning more than you. Yeah, it's more, yeah. you're drowning more than me, yeah. I need to shut up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was his perspective anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that's the whole thing. Is, so it's very easy to get into that comparison thing of, oh, well, I didn't have it that bad or, you know, you know maybe it was. And, and I did that for years and years and years. I was always like, oh, you know, like, oh, you know, I came out pretty good. I'm, I'm fine. Like, you know, I, I wasn't like, you know, beaten or, you know, there wasn't yep. all of that stuff, you know. Um, and so, but like you, like you say, like, it's all perspective and it's all what you've gone through in your own um, life. So we only know what we know and we only um, have the ability to deal with our own situation. Yep. Like, given the information that we have and the experiences that we've gone through. So, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty, it's it's an interesting thing to talk about. So, talking, um, we've spoken a lot about obviously what you went through with your dad and stuff, but mm. there were other people in the family too. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. how, you know, in retrospect now when you look back or even stuff, because you said you've done a lot of unpacking and a lot of mm. self-work, mm. um, looking back on things like that and kind of reassessing things now that you, you can look back on it, how were your relationships with your siblings and stuff like that changed or mm. um, how did that come into what was going on with that? Well, to be quite honest, it probably had a positive impact. Um, like my brother and I were very, very close because he was the, you know, look out, look out for his little sister scenario. Is he the oldest? He's, no, no. So my sister's actually seven years older than me and my brother's like four years older. So we do have quite big age gaps. Yep. Um, but I was super, super close with my brother. Um, my sister and I were seven years apart growing up. So, you know, she was, I was the annoying little sister and she was... Sex between me and my brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we, our personalities were not like the same. So I guess we, we didn't grow up, um, super, super close, but we're a lot closer now. Like in our adult life, we definitely, um, she's got, you know, two cool children and, and we have a pretty cool relationship. Um, but... But mostly probably um, as a child, it was more my brother that I probably leaned on more. He was more around. And, and, and to be fair, my sister just like left the scenario because she could. She was older and so she sort of went out. Whereas me and my brother were kind of more, from my recollection, at the age that I really remember the most, he was around a lot more because um, he was younger. So we were sort of together. Um, so yeah, I think it probably in some ways had a positive effect for my brother and I because we were pretty close he actually lives in London now but um you know he was that old brother looking out for his little sister all the time and making sure I was okay and cool. you know all of that so 
Yeah, I have, and, and my mum is incredible. She's yeah, talk like, about your mum. Oh, like... my mum is amazing. She, she is my rock. She is um, a very, very incredible woman. Um, Do you think now, like, is it quite strange now, knowing what you know now? Because obviously when you, you get older and you get to a point where you're like, shit, that's really what was going on. Yeah, like I've spoken yeah. to a few guests and we always joke that, you know, when you're when you're younger, you, you pretty much anyone above, I'd say, 20 maybe, yeah. you think in your head that they've got their shit together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you kind of grow up and get to that point yourself and yeah. you're like, fuck, that's not the case at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, when you look back, like, on your mum then, like, obviously she sounds like she's a bit of, you're a superhero anyway. Yeah, totally. Um, when you were younger. Yeah. But as, I imagine that must be like a thousandfold now as you get older. Oh, yeah, like, and watching just so much that she's gone through. Um, she's, she's one very, very strong lady, and I draw so much inspiration from her, just in, she, she's, a, she's a real Pollyanna, she'll always find the silver lining in every situation, yeah. um, all the time, so. Was that annoying, growing up? Um, no, I think it actually just helped me to be that way as well because okay. I am a little bit inclined to be that way so I, I obviously I come from my mother and my father and so I come from you know my mother who's always half glass full and, and my father who was half glass empty so you know I do tend to sometimes go in swings and roundabouts myself when I'm feeling down and out I can tend to get you know quite low mm-hmm. and when I'm doing good I can be quite high so I, I have to for me I manage my mental health now really well but um you know, I didn't for a long time, and I didn't really... I was pretty self-destructive in a lot of ways. Um, but, yeah, yeah, my mum, um, I've learned a lot from her. She's... she's. I just really can't praise her enough. She, um, she kept our family... She kept us all very safe and fed, and um, I, I honestly think we all came out pretty well, considering, you know, what we went through. And, you know, I don't want to sit here and, like, beat up on you know, my father, because at the end of the day, he is a sick man. He didn't know, mm. um, you know, that, that's a thing, that's a disease and in terms of even alcoholism and in terms of um, a mental illness, they are diseases, you know, and and now I can look back on it because of the work that I've done and I've been able to unpack it and I've been able to heal through it. I can now, I've actually just reignited my relationship with him because we were not speaking for a while and, and I've just set boundaries now. So that I have very, very clear boundaries on what I'm willing to bring to the party. Okay. Can and you share with, like, some of those? Like, obviously, so, I don't want you to share anything you don't want to, but... Because I know there's people listening that are probably going through similar things. So yeah, what are some boundaries yeah. they could set or what are some... Yeah. So, um, I was always... My sister and I was always his person, I guess. You know, when something was wrong, we would get the phone call. If he had to call an ambulance, we would get the call at 3 o'clock in the morning. If he, you know, there was just, there was always something going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, when, I mean, it's hard enough with your own stuff going on, but when you're living like that, you're constantly on the edge, you've sort of, you know, had a manic episode, you're, you're the one that's got getting dragged through it. There's that whole, I always feel like there's this analogy I give that, you know, when someone is struggling and they're drowning and, you know, you throw them a rope and you and you pull it and to try and help them out of the situation, but as soon as they start pulling the rope down and pulling you down with them, then you uh, have to let go. Because your own safety and yep. well being is at, at risk really. Um so I did. We both my sister and I we both let go because it was just too much. Um 
and, and it took a couple of years before I could actually, like I said, unpack, do healing, um, go to therapy, just do the work really um, in terms of showing up for myself. I meditate, I journal, I do all those sort of things. I eat well, I exercise, I, you know, there's a lot of things that help with that. But um, in terms of boundary setting, um, it wasn't that I didn't want to ever see him again, you know, I never, I, because to me that felt like you know he's still my father even though things have been really tough and there's still pain there um i still love him yeah still my father and that does and that's the thing i think most people will feel like that you know with parents you know it's you can't just decide in your head oh no i'm not gonna have anything to do with them and and the feelings go away because they're always going to be there because your souls are connected you are literally like part of them so it's very very hard to um try to compartmentalize that and 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 you know, be like, no, I'm, I'm not going to have, you know, I'm not going to have them in my life at all. And, and you can do that. Like, people do that. It's generally a coping mechanism, well, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way I've found, um, and where I've only just reignited, so I'm still quite new in this, but we will meet at, like, a cafe where I will meet him there so I don't pick him up. We don't have, like, if he has to walk there or get a bus or, a ta- you know, whatever, mm-hmm. then that's what he does, and we'll meet there, and we'll do that maybe once a month or once every six weeks or whatever feels um, manageable, I guess. And the boundaries there is that we don't drag up all the old past stuff. Interesting. We don't pull up the past, we move forward. The past is, is done. It's like, there's no point, I mean, yes, I've talked about it here today because I'm trying to give that overview of the scenario of what's happened, but if we keep dragging up the past, you're just living in the past constantly and you just, there's no healing and there's no moving forward. And for me, I think it's really important that, like I've said to Dad, like I, like I acknowledge that you're sorry, I acknowledge that, you know, we all have our parts to play in, and while things have been incredibly painful, um, I've worked through stuff, and I'm okay, like, you know, I'm doing okay, so how about, and I think that the only way that you can have a relationship with someone who have, you have gone through something like that with is to do your own work and to be okay with it to then allow that back in. If you're still feeling like they are super triggering and super, um, it's too painful, then then that is maybe it's not the right time. You just have to allow yourself time. It took me a good two years before I felt like I was ready to actually go back into the arena of, yeah, yeah. you know, and because it's that concern. It's like, you know, well, how, how much do you give? Like, how, you know, because for a lot of people that are mentally unwell, you give an inch, they take miles. You know, when they're very, very unwell, I'm talking like extremely unwell. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. And at the end of the day, as you said, like you've got to, like you've got to worry about your ability to give out that rope as much as right. them receiving the rope. Because I mean, I can understand a lot of people might be thinking, but they're ill. Like you've got to help, which is absolutely true. We mm. want to help, and we love sure. them. They're a part sure. of us, as you've described. Absolutely. But we can't pour from an empty jug. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I hate yeah. to... I know I use that saying a lot. My listeners are probably yeah. annoyed because I say that nearly yeah, yeah. every time. Yeah. But it's true. It's true. Like, if I, like to me, I can't be a good uh, wife, um, daughter, sister, friend, anything like that if I am not looking after myself and, and feeling like I'm, like, you know looking after my own mental well-being and my own physical well-being and all of that because I think they all tie in anyway but so to me if I'm in if I'm too much of the helper in his life I get pulled down I go back into being the eight-year-old of the feeling very very triggered and so I can't do that day-to-day life with him Mm -hmm. I've learned that 
I've done it so many times, over and over and over again. Yeah. Every time it pulls me back down, and I get back into like a spiral of, um, of basically my own mental well-being going downhill. So that's what I mean in terms of yeah, it's really hard. Like I can sit there and beat myself up and be like, oh well, you know, I feel really sorry for him. I feel really sad. I you know wish I could do more. But then you're like, I actually can't. I can't. I cannot fix him. It's not my responsibility. It's his life. Yes, I care about him. But there are people that are qualified to help in this scenario, and that's not my job. So at the end of the day, I have had to get a little bit tough love with mm. myself and with him. Um, and like you said, boundaries, it's, it's hard. Like, like I said, like, we've all moved forward, um, and we just want to move forward. If we keep going back, we're going to be rehashing all the past, and I don't think that's helpful for anyone. Is it hard to do, like, when you're meeting with them and sitting with them and talking to them and stuff, and, like, you can, because you can feel it. Yeah. You can feel conversations start to slant towards themes of the yep. past or whatever. Like, I, you know, I, if I take, like, catching up with schoolmates, yep. like, we'll be talking about, hey, how's things? What have you yep. been up to lately? And then you just know, like, uh, yeah, you know, like, oh, like in, in that situation, <laughs> yeah. it's not yeah. a negative, but I'm yeah, just saying, yeah. like, there's, you just know that there's, like, a, oh, remember that guy from school? Yeah, or yeah, remember yeah. that time? Yeah. So when you see, because I'm, I'm, mm. I'm imagining, does that happen with Dad when you catch up with Dad? Um, like, I mean, do, do things start to go that way before you have to rope it in? Or? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, 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 my husband will probably say I'm a bit of a hard ass. I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty good. I, I didn't used to be. I was very, very soft and very, you know, I am super kind and, and loyal and caring and compassionate and all of those things. But in this, in this situation, I actually really have to be quite tough because mm. um, I have learned that if I'm not, then I go downhill myself. So it's that kind of like self-protection mechanism creeps in and I'm just like, you know what? Let's not talk about that. This, like, let's just like navigate, you know? And that's what I said, like we make that thing. Like, so there's no subtle sort of, you just actually slam the door, Pretty so much. to speak. Yep. Yeah, to me. And I'm only asking because I know there's someone going yeah, through it right now that absolutely. needs to know how to do it themselves. Yeah. I'm not trying to pry yeah, out yeah, of no, you just saying, sure. yeah. No, to, that's what a boundary is. And that's why it's, and, I, and I've said to my father that we can have a relationship, but these are the boundaries. This is what, this is what I can commit to, and this is what I can do. Um, and he's just so happy that I'm back in his life that he's willing to do anything. How, far, how long were you apart for? Um, I would say probably two and a bit years. Crazy. Yeah. Um, which was really hard because at, at times I'd seen him and he kind of looked like a really sad old man you know that was you know it it was tough like I I remember driving past him and just being like bawling my eyes out just you know Mm. wanting to go and pick him up and be like you know it's okay but I just every time I would do that in the past it would enable it and then I became that person that he could just uh allow I don't even want to say um bad behavior but technically it's kind of like um when people are very very mentally unwell um they get very good at playing the game Hmm. of how to manipulate situation yep manipulate you manipulate system very very good because they because they just want to like they've got a goal and it's the quickest route to it is that that fair to say or well to be fair when you are that that when you are that unwell um and i and um i think anyone who has um, severe bipolar that is unmedicated or schizophrenia or something that is that severe unmedicated it's different uh, to me that's a little bit different than 
um, suffering from some depression, like, yes, that you can have severe, but, like, I'm talking about, like, when you have a mind-altering situation, when you have, like, psychosis, bipolar, schizophrenia, all those things, um, they are, they almost are like children. They actually can't navigate the world like a adult person can. Mm -hmm. So they may be adult, but they actually can't navigate it the same way. And it took me a really long time to understand that because I'd be having these conversations with Dad and I thought, why why doesn't he get this? You're blaming him when it's it's the illness. He is actually not capable of it. So once I actually understood that and actually just accepted it and was like, you know what, he's just a human and this is just something that he's this is a card he's been played, mm. um, you know, I can't fix it, and let's, like, you know, he needs help, then, and that's what I mean, that's where the mental health system is, is, is tough, because it's not that great, but to be fair, he's done a lot of his own work recently, cool. um, but I actually think that he had to, this might sound tough, but I actually think he had to lose his people, in terms of his immediate support people that almost enabled his destructive behavior um in order for him to actually hit that bottom and work his way back up i really do think that some people need to lose the boat before they learn how to swim pretty much that's how it goes sometimes which is hard (coughs) i don't think i've been in an as extreme situation as yourself or you know that diet but i've definitely been in places where i've had to just for lack of a better term cull them off yeah and kind of just let them, not only for them, but for, for yeah. me. Like, yeah, for sure. Like we've talked about self-preservation and your own yeah. mental health and stuff like yeah. that. Because it's super important. It gets, it get, you, this is the thing, like everyone's like, oh, but well, I want to help and I want to do that. Well, it's like, of course you do. If you're someone that has a huge amount of empathy, which I have a huge amount of empathy, I cry at the drop of a hair. I see, <laughs> you know, something on TV that triggers me, I'm just like, you know, I, I, I am a massive empath. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, but... Um, there is a point at which, yeah, you really do have to put your own life jacket on first, that whole saying is that you have to look after yourself first. If you don't, you're going to learn eventually that you're going to have to do it. Yeah, to be fair, like it's going to come out in one way. And to me it was, if I am not doing the things to take care of myself, that means I have to actually take action and work on every day. And I will say every single day I have to do stuff like this. Um, I will become, I will overeat, I will overcommit, um, in terms of like work-wise, you know, like I'll, I'll say, oh yeah, I can do it, and I, and, but I'm actually not capable of doing it because it's too much. Um, <clears throat> I will overspend, I will um, just kind of over everything, you know, over... Do you think it's a distraction mechanism? Totally, of course it is, yeah. It's a, it's a distraction because I don't want to... Face or deal face with face or deal with the stuff, and so this is why I say like I this is why I meditate, this is why I journal, and I sit with myself and I actually feel the pain, I feel the emotion. So this is how I tackled for me emotional eating because I have been over a hundred kilos before, so I've been you know super um, overweight for my height. <laughs> was you know I was quite big um and unhealthy like i was really really unhealthy and so it's so funny like um, listeners probably won't get it while i'm sitting here in front of you like because we've only just met today yeah, like yeah, we've totally. never actually met before <laughs> yeah, i don't no. i don't know anything about your story and stuff no and it's really really hard just like the journalist in me always wants to do his research yeah, but yeah. i've kind of committed to not doing that and just coming yeah, in yeah, yeah. and not knowing people yeah, and yeah, finding out for sure 
as soon as he said he used to be 100 kilo, because, like, if you're listening, she's not very tall. <laughs> like, man, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was, so I'm um, five foot six, and I was, yeah, 107 kilos, and um, I lost 40 odd kilos about 10 years ago. Um, and then I uh, have, fl- had, I have fluctuated up and down over the years. I sort of kept um, most of it off, but then. Uh, probably two years, well, two years ago when stuff with dad got really bad, I, I started to emotionally eat again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of crept back up to about 80. And I kind of just got to the point, I was like, oh my God, I just can't believe I'm back here. You know, like I'd done all the work and I thought, you know, I had it all figured out, but I didn't. <laughs> and I hadn't really figured out the emotional eating aspect. Um, and that was when I started working on myself. And like I said, that's when I learned to meditate. That's when I learned to journal. I, when I was feeling hungry and I would be like, is this actually hunger hunger or is this heart head distraction hunger? Mm. So is this because I'm feeling sad, tired, disconnected, overworked? You know, am I wanting <clears throat> am I wanting to distract myself in this moment and go and get something from the fridge or the cupboard because I just don't want to be feeling this. You know, I don't want to feel this emotion. Um, yeah, it was, it was it was a massive thing to work on. It took a long time. So in the last eighteen months, I've lost fifteen kilos. So congrats. Um, thanks. Yeah. So no, and, and it's less about just like the numbers and the and and the way I look and stuff. It's more about just how I feel. I just feel like. Yeah. I just feel like me again. I feel like I'm the healthiest version of myself that I've ever been. And it's taken a really long time to get to this point. Yeah. yeah. I think it's important yeah. people know that too, like about the numbers and stuff. Oh, it's like really I, easy to get fixated on it. Like I'm not a small human, but I used to be way bigger. Yeah, like I used, yeah. I used to weigh in at about close to 170 kilo. Yeah, wow. And I got down to 107. Yeah. And I remember getting, that was that's the lowest I've been yeah. for ages. And I yeah. remember getting there and thinking, this isn't all it's cracked up to be yeah, either. No, like, and then absolutely. I, I kind of had to go up a little yeah. bit more until yeah. I was comfortable. Yeah. So I remember like, I was like, you know, like I did a corporate boxing fight at the time. Like yeah. I was pretty fit and stuff. Yeah. And I was actually like, this is shit. Like, yeah. I don't know why I didn't enjoy it, but yeah, I think yeah. it was, I don't know whether it was too much effort or I don't know. It just didn't feel like me. Mm, and I, so I had yeah. to like chuck on of just a few extras. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I probably like, I, yeah. I know I'm neglecting myself as of late, but I know, yeah, I was fine. I, that's always something that stuck with me. It was like, mm. You know, I suppose like light or skinny doesn't equivalent to happy. Oh my god! I just this is what I talk to my, what I talk to my clients about because I do coaching now. I okay. coach um, women and help them with um, yeah emotional eating, intuitive eating, kind of getting back to that kind of thing and and dealing with the internal pain really to why this stuff is going on. Mm. And I always say to them like, thinness doesn't equal happiness. It is the biggest misconception. If you think that your life is going to be you know, great and amazing because you reach a certain number of what this like glorified idea of what you have in your head of, you know, your life's going to be so much better if you just weigh like five kilos or 10 kilos or whatever less, you are mistaken. If you think that that's that driving, you think that that's going to be the answer, it's not. And, and I've learned that many times, but this time in particular, I've learned it even more. Um, and to me, this time around, I concentrated on how I felt. Mm. and the numbers really just fell where they fell and I just didn't go searching for like because 
I knew I, I've been anywhere between, I've been quite underweight as well, so I've been like 55 kilos to 100 set. Like, that's a big you know, difference in terms of what my physical structure has gone through, what my skin has stretched to, and now, you know, like it's just your body is so, to me, it was a, for me personally, it was a reflection of what was going on inside. Yeah. What I was carrying, if I was carrying really a lot of weight, it was I was carrying so much emotion. And it was a lot of stuff that was undealt with. Um, and as I've just dealt with that, it's kind of like peeling an onion. It was literally just like peeling an onion. The layers were coming off, metaphorically, and like, <laughs> you know, actually, yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a real hard one. It's not an easy thing to unpack, like you said, mm. like, you know, sitting with an uncomfortable feeling and emotion, like food is that, well, for me, and, and for some people, it could be alcohol or drugs or whatever they choose, shopping, like I said, there's so many different, there's so many different things that we will distract ourselves with and we live in a, a world now that it's just, everything is convenient and a drop of a hat and you can go, you know, or you're scrolling on social media or you're comparing your life, whatever you're mm. doing. Um, to me, for me, it was generally eating was my first thing that I went to. Um, and to, you know, sit there and be like, oh, okay, so I'm not actually hungry, but I'm feeling like this. Okay, so I'm not going to eat, but what, what else do I need to do? Like, I can't just go and then pick up another habit and start, you know, shopping or, or yeah. you know, um, drinking or whatever it is that you decide. I had to learn to sit with that emotion and sit with that pain and work through it. That is really hard. Sounds hard. It's really hard. It sounds hard. <laughs> it's really hard. I like to think I'm quite open-minded and I kind of mm. can click to most things, but from, I can't even really begin to fathom how yeah. that would work. Yeah. Um, that self-exploration at the end of the day, and that's where, to me, meditation came in, was meditating um, has saved, to me, has saved my life. It's changed um, how I view the world. It's changed how I um, react to situations. So... Um, you know, I don't take things personally the same as I used to because I've just got that ability to just pause, take mm -hmm. a pause and be like, you know, I don't need to react to this straight away. This is not necessarily personal, yep. you know, it could be whatever, whatever it may be. But um, that to me is what meditation's done. So I can sit with my thoughts and observe them I observed my thoughts I just know that they're not me I'm not my thoughts um, because people get really wrapped up and it's really hard to explain and and go for it though do, do your best but, do your best but, you know we, we live from our unconscious behaviors all day you know like you brush your teeth you drive to work you you know go pick up a coffee you you know start working you pick up a certain pen that you're going to use we just do everything because that's what we have done for for a long time and yep. that becomes your unconscious behaviors and we have like 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day. 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day. I'll just re-say that just so you can like try and mind blow it yourself. You know, it's, yeah. it's crazy. Um, and every day those thoughts repeat. So you're having basically the same thoughts every day that are repeating, but every day you're adding new ones to it. So through your experiences. So, you know, like today you've added a new thought because you've met me and we're having this conversation yeah. and blah, blah. I'll so spend then, the rest of the day looking back <laughs> on it thinking about yeah, things. That's right. Yeah. So, and then we create stories and narratives and that's how then we go and live our, our life forward. And so you can either choose to add good stuff, you know, like you can either choose to make that positive or make that negative. Mm. 
And the only way to rewrite that story and try and make it more positive behaviors and stuff is to actually do them every day. So like incremental changes. So that's why um, to me meditating is really important because when I meditate, I sit with myself, I get back in touch with who I really am, not my ego self, not this like external shell that, you know, while I talk about weight loss and stuff, that's one aspect, but I'm talking about that ego self that um, identifies with, with this personality, you know, my personality and how I look and the job I do and the, you know, that sort of scenario. Um, whereas when we get in touch with our true self and who we really are, which is love, we all love, we all want to be connected and we are all um, at our core, um, you know, soul beings that just want to be seen, like we want to connect with other people, like this is why people are so disconnected, they're all on social media but no one's connecting, like when we connect mm. we feel love and we feel compassion and, and joy and all of those things. So when I meditate, I find I want to show up more in my life. I want to, I don't get into a comparison trap. I don't distract myself with stuff. It's very much, oh no, I am like, you know what, I'm whole and I'm enough as I am just now. I don't need to change anything, yep. you know. And then when I do that, then I do, do some journaling and I journal about what's going on and whether I decide, hey, like today I'm going to actually really try and not think that I'm not good at this and I'm going to try and improve on something, you know, say, um, you know, say you want to start doing some exercise and yep. people can kind of be like, well, it's too hard or, you know, that, that, that's just a self-limiting belief and at the end of the day, like, it, it may be hard, but it's not too hard, like, you can do it. So why don't you start with five minutes, why don't you start with ten minutes, but don't go and, like, decide to go and do an hour and try and do that every day because you can't like that's too much like it's not it's not going to be concrete you know you're not going to be able to keep that as a actual behavior change and so that's the whole thing is that incremental changes be try and be one percent better every day mm. drink some more water you know eat some more vegetables get rid of some toxic friends that kind of thing you know like just start and, and you just do it slowly like it's not about trying to change everything all at once it's just doing little bits because you overwhelm yourself too much when you go oh, i'm going to change everything and that's why nothing works for people because they just try and change everything and then they're, they're often changing it from the ego self. So the how I look or how I present to the world or how I want to be seen, you know, in terms of am I successful? Well, that's going to be very short-lived because at the end of the day, like, it's not coming from your true self. It's yeah. not coming from who you really are and what you really want and what your desires really are because the only way you get in touch with what your desires are is by getting in touch with yourself. So let me challenge you though. There's yep. some, obviously some instances where people do those one percenters at a time, mm -hmm. and that doesn't work for them too. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that might be, or what what could they adjust to help them with that? Well, I think that they're just not being patient enough and not seeing it through. To be fair, it's it's like I said, we're we're living in a world where we want everything now. We want to change it now, and like. You know, I was always this very much all or nothing person. I was either doing it all or I was doing nothing. <laughs> you know, and I am very, and I do. I'm only laughing because I do that. I've done it. Yeah. yeah, and often as like, if you're an entrepreneur kind of person and you're really creative, that's often how our brains function. We are, very, and, that, and that really serves us in that scenario because when we're passionate about something, we go all in and we're just like super into it. And really important part is actually understanding your personality as well like even though I say like our ego is our personality you don't want to get wrapped up in that it actually helps you to actually navigate your life so you like you know we do have a personality at the end of the day if you can align 
your soul with your personality so that you are actually you know that you're on a path that's actually aligning with your core values and what you actually truly want you're gonna actually go in the path that is gonna help you live a really fulfilling life as opposed to going on a path that you think you want to go on because this is what you think you should be doing because somebody said to you once oh you'd make a really good dj or you'd make a really good such and such but if you really don't want to do that like truly in your soul and you like know in mm. your heart of hearts that that's actually not who you are and that's not actually going to benefit you but you're doing it because it's seen as successful or because your mum said hey you know well why don't you go to law school because you know lawyers make really good money or whatever it is you know like if you're doing it for other people and for social validation or mm. external validation, anything we do, if we're doing it for external validation, generally we're not going to stick to it. We're not going to actually see it through. So that's why I say, like, if that one percent thing's not working, why why are you seeking it? What are you seeking it for? Are you seeking it for external validation, or are you seeking it because you want to do it? Better? Like, do you want to do it? Mm. Do you want to actually go and exercise? Do you want to eat some more veggies? Do you want to actually be healthy? That's the kind of... Because if you don't. Because some people don't. That's what, and you know what? And that's fine. If you don't, then you don't. Like, but don't try and force it. Because mm. if you force it, it's not going to flow. And then you're going to get frustrated. And you're going to beat yourself up. And you're going to think that you're not good enough. And it's just going to be... The, so the I, actually, I, I always I think of a friend's dad as you speak about this. I had a friend's dad who got mad into cycling. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And, he, and he did it for ages. And he lost heaps of weight and stuff. You know, he's doing really good. And then he just stopped. And then it's put the weight back on and yep. stuff. And then we, we said to him, um, you know, he's like a, an uncle or dad to me. I mm. can kind of be kind of frank with him. I'm mm. like, bro, what, what's going on? Like, mm. how can you stop? And he's like, honestly, he's like, I just didn't enjoy it. Yeah, I, said, well, I was doing it because so-and-so said I should yeah. do it. Yeah. But really, I didn't enjoy it. And he's, you know, in his 50s. And so he was just yeah. like, he's like, look, at the end of the day, because it, this probably happened over like a three-year period. Like, mm. It happened pretty quickly. Mm. And he lost a lot of weight and stuff. He's like, his attitude was, which I don't necessarily agree with, but this was his perspective and his yeah. story and his attitude. He's yeah. just like, I could drop tomorrow, so yeah. I might as well just live my life. Yeah. I don't want to spend it on a bike that I don't even enjoy. And even though I was a little bit pissed off, like in my head, I was like, you're doing so well, though. Yeah, you lost heaps yeah. of weight. I was like, yeah. man, fuck, if that doesn't make you happy, bro, then fuck, do That's it. right. Like, yeah. Do your thing. And that's the thing. Like, that's his exact scenario of what can happen if you're doing something from a place of, external validation because he's someone else said to him mm. oh but you know like you should do this and you should do that or you know because some uh, you know like that that is not coming from like you know what i want to you know if you want to run a marathon if you really want to run a marathon because you really want to do that then do it like but don't do it because you think that someone someone suggested it or because you want to impress someone or you think that that's going to make you more socially acceptable or whatever it is like I personally don't want to run a marathon. I couldn't think of anything worse, but I really like hiking. I like going hiking in the mountains and stuff like that because I enjoy it because I like being in nature. And, and the reason that I um, you know, like to get out and do that because it helps me connect with myself, my soul self, with myself. And then so that I can do that, I cycle at home to keep me fit to help me so that I can do that. Now, I don't necessarily like cycling, so this is a where it can contradict a bit. I don't necessarily like cycling or like doing that kind of exercise, but I really love the hiking and I want to be fit and healthy being able to do that, and ah. the cycling actually enables me to do that. Same with eating well. If I don't eat well, I'm going to cycle like crap, and then I'm going to, you know, it's, a, it's kind of like going unpacking that to go, like, well, how am I going to get to where I want to be? 
and that is I really want to go hiking because I really enjoy being amongst nature and seeing really beautiful scenery and going and getting up you know mountains and stuff like that and I really enjoy that because I just that's something I like doing um that's still also new for me I haven't done before I've been like oh my god I can't think of anything worse than doing that but that's just as I've grown and Mm. as I've worked on myself I've realized you know what I really do like nature you know and I really do like getting out amongst doing that but don't do it because someone suggested oh let's go hiking if you don't like hiking then don't do it you know? <laughs> like it's you know but find something that you do like and, and that's the thing there'll always be something that someone will like doing and just find it like and that you can only unpack that for yourself when you do the self-exploration work yeah and that's what i mean by doing journaling and stuff people are like journaling really i have to journal but it's really helpful like it's 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 the it's self-inquiry when you actually start to write down and you're like oh no like i actually do want to do this or no i don't you know um helps you to really express what you do want interesting i've never thought of that like to be honest with friends that journal and stuff i'm kind of like i couldn't i've never done it. well no that's that's not entirely true i did it a lot when i was younger going through all my yeah, sh- going through all my shit i used to, yeah. i used to write things as i go because it used to keep me sane yeah and that's what led me to music yeah, like i right. wrote down stuff then and i would express it out loud that's right. and then next minute i was journaling and rhyme and all this sort of thing yeah. um but coming back to the journaling what are people meant to learn from it or how is it meant to help so well, you like mentioned you, a little bit like you just said mm-hmm. you journal when you're younger to help you feel sane through the time that you were going through. So you go through this really tough time at home mm. and you were journaling to keep you sane because it gets your thoughts down on paper. Yeah. You know, yeah. instead of swirling around in your head and you're trying to navigate it and you're trying to unpack it and, and, you, and you can't because you're just too, it's too, there's too much. Yeah. Especially when you're going through trauma. Actually, bro, I never realised that, but yeah. I, nowadays I talk to people. Yeah, well, that's right. That's yeah. probably a transition I made because I think I used yeah. to be probably in the middle leaning towards, for lack of a better term, I like, an introvert, yeah, but probably yep. I'm now in the middle leaning towards an extrovert, yeah, and I guess I've adjusted accordingly. Yeah, and I never realised that until right now. Ah, there, <laughs> there you go. Wonderful thing. Yeah. Awesome. Um, um, yeah, but that, that's basically yeah, like you said, if you if you're someone that you have got people to talk to and you can unpack with them, then that's great. But sometimes you don't want to do that with everyone because then you know everyone knows everything about you know. And yeah, yeah. You, there, there's there's deeper stuff that you want to address that you're not gonna open up to someone about you know like there could be deeper stuff going on like you know um even the stuff that i was talking about with you know my father and stuff you know i'm being quite open and frank about it but um a lot of people don't feel that comfortable yeah. doing that they don't feel comfortable and i'm like super extroverted i'm 90 i'm like 97 percent extroverted so sure. i am super extroverted but if i don't again self-care look after myself meditate journal eat well exercise those kinds of things make my bed in the morning like real i don't want to make my bed in the morning but i do it because it's like an accomplishment for the day and i feel like i've got somewhat of my life together (laughs) and um and if i don't do that stuff then i tend to go quite introverted and i want to hide away from the world and i don't want to be participating in life and i'm very much like oh no like i'm not enough i'm not good enough i'm not this enough you know i start to get very comparative Mm. like i'm comparing myself to everyone and I'm like, why? Like, why am I doing that? Like, we've all got our own things to offer. 
but we often get into that self-comparison trap, particularly on social, social media. It's just scroll for like two minutes and all of a sudden you're comparing yourself to some random person that you've never met. And it's just ridiculous. Is that social media's fault or is it our fault? Well, I think it's, but I think the fact that it's so accessible, right? So it's so accessible that it's all there. And I think it's our fault that we're not, we're distracting ourselves with it. Mm. But that, that's the whole thing. It's like, what is, still like the, to me, it's a little bit chicken and the eggs yeah. scenario because you've kind of got you got social media because people want to be social and connect and all that, but really you're not being social and connecting. Like, you are connecting somewhat. It's such a trap of a name, eh? It really is. (laughs) Social media. Social media. Anti-social media. But there's that whole, if you're getting into that, like, not everyone probably feels like that comparison trap. There are probably plenty of people that don't, but I know from the work that I do and the people that I talk to is that uh, comparison is so massive for women in particular i don't mm. know about men i'm pretty sure that it would probably be similar but i'm, I'm not the but, one to ask but but women can get really compare it like especially like body image yeah. or um which exists talk- which existed i believe which existed before social media oh absolutely but it's amplified but it's amplified it and then you've got um people comparing like if you're a mum and you've got kids and then you're comparing your kid, you know, like, yeah. oh, my kid's, you know, more advanced than your kid, whatever. Like, you know, it's just, there's that whole comparison trap that people really easily fall into. Yep. Um, and like I said, if you don't check yourself and, like, actually spend that time with yourself and do that work, you're going to be in that. It's funny because I like to think I'm generally pretty good. Mm. But you say check yourself. I actually caught myself last night. Mm. A friend was on holiday mm. and I saw it and I yeah. thought to myself... Yeah. Fucking bitch, how come yeah, you yeah, get to yeah, go on holiday? Yeah, yeah. Like, I thought it for a second, I was like, whoa, 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 hold on, bro. Yeah. It's not her fault that she's worked hard to go on this holiday. Yeah, yeah. But there was a split second where I yeah. snapped myself out going, yeah. what the fuck, yeah, she gets yeah. to go on holiday. Yeah. And then I was like, wow. And mm. like, it's weird. I went through this whole thing of like, um, like, not angry, but like, hey, why? Like, I was, mm. you know, like a bit of a spoiled kid. Yeah, yeah. And, then, <laughs> and then I was like, kind of shocked at myself. And then I was disappointed in myself. <laughs> and then I just started laughing about how ridiculous yeah, the whole situation yeah, the whole was. Situation. So I'm glad I could pull out of that and just yeah, kind of crack up. You obviously pulled yourself out of that pretty well. And just laughed about it. But yeah. I, but you know, but, but I've done I've done I've done a lot of inner work too. Say. Yeah, I've done yeah. a lot of inner work yeah. too. And, and yeah, I can imagine. But yeah, I just I just wanted to confess that I don't want to come across like I'm perfect and I yeah, never yeah, go through yeah, that. Because yeah. I was fucking doing it last night. Yeah, that's right. And it's really easy to do it, and it's really easy when you're in your own you, you compare, like, it's that whole um, comparing your reality to someone else's highlight reel. You know, mm. at the end of the day, are, people aren't sharing, you know, what they did last night if they were just, I don't know, eating dinner and hanging with the dog. Or, you know what I mean? Like, no one's, com- no one's going to be sharing all of that stuff because that seems boring compared to if someone's on a holiday in France and, you know, eating, like, beautiful food. You know what I mean? Like, yep. it's just, it's that whole when we get into that's the whole thing with the comparison so i have a real love hate relationship with social media because i love it because i connect with so many amazing women and i get to do i get to coach them and i get to do um amazing work and i feel like it's really um i do i do feel like i connect because we don't we're not just connecting through that we i actually go and do coaching so we do video calls so we you know actually connect but um so i love it on that aspect because it's great for my business in that way and i I like to show um, realistic stuff, but on the other side, part of me, I'm just like, why am I on this thing? Because it's just, you know, sometimes when you're feeling down and out or you're feeling low, Mm. 
you start scrolling because you're distracted and you don't want to deal with your emotions and so then you start scrolling and then you feel worse and it's just this like it's weird eh? it's like you know it's kind of like a spade like you're either planting or you're digging something up and it's yeah Yeah. it's it's kind of how it's being used i guess and, and, and you can just use your, the way that I've now navigated my social media so that I don't feel like that is I look at the person I'm following and I'm like, do I see this person as like, I don't want to say, but like as a weed or a seed, yep. <laughs> you know, like are they someone that's like, you know, I want that to grow. Like I'm like, they are really helping me grow or is it like a weed where I'm kind of like, you know, this isn't because your energy will go where you put it, right? Like, mm. where you put your energy, things will grow or whatever. So, you don't want to grow the weeds. <laughs> you want to grow the seeds. Yeah, cool. You know, weeds, so seeds, I like that. Seeds. So, um, you know, if you just try and think of, like, which people on your social media help you feel empowered and, like, you know, um, inspired and, like, you're moving forward and you're growing... Versus if you see people on social media that actually just irk you or make you feel, I don't know, just just trigger you or just it's just not a good fit for you, yep. unfollow them. It's just simple. like But <coughs> people struggle with that because, of course, if they're a friend or... The know, one, yeah. I, I hear like you, you start selling yourselves and all the reason why you shouldn't cull mm. them there. Like it's, mm. I hear it a lot because yeah. that's a big piece of advice I offer people too. Yeah. Like if it's not adding to your... Yeah, then don't a, do it. More than yeah. can be taken away. That's so right. Stop that from happening. So, yeah. So speaking of stories, well, yeah. I want to talk about stories. I want to ask a selfish question here. This is for okay. me, but I know it's going to relate to a few people <laughs> out there. Sure. I know one of the big stories I sold myself when I was growing up and I'm guessing it's part of being um, part of Polynesian culture. Mm-hmm. One, of, one of the big reasons I believe, and I'm not trying to cast blame, I know like me mm-hmm. getting big and stuff like mm-hmm. that was definitely predominantly my fault, mm-hmm. but a big reason I believe that it got out of hand too is because throughout school and, and stuff like that, and definitely, as I said, being Polynesian, there was a lot of, oh, big hips, you're the big man, you're uh, the big dude, yeah, and, yeah. and so I was like, oh man, like I'm cool if I'm big. Yep. Do you find that quite a lot? And like with New Zealand culture, with the work you do, that that is a thing that we glorify being big, burly, bulky. Yeah, I think it's glorified in, in so many areas. Like there's, if as a man, it's seen as if you're big and burly and strong and all that, you're better than. And if you're a woman, then you want to be small and, and white and thin. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like yeah. it's so ridiculous. But that is really how society is kind of it's getting better it's getting a lot better in terms of like body positivity and people are like accepting that everyone is different and like you know there is beauty in everyone like I just it's so interesting because growing up it was always like you know that like you said if you were a woman it was about being small Mm. as small as you can be and now it's kind of like it's changing where it's like hold on what about like actually trying to be strong and healthy and like actually like able-bodied yeah. <laughs> would be a good thing but you know it's that very like meek woman don't speak you know don't you know don't say a lot don't have an opinion you know I was always I remember growing up you know it was always like you're too much you've got too much of an opinion or you're too this or you're too yeah. that and it's like well you know like you can you can never satisfy a society society um expectation because god like you'd have to be 50 million different things and you can't be that but yeah like I think that it's um I think that's probably where men men can really struggle and mm. it's not actually talked about a lot in terms of their own body image and um you know it's it's kind of like men are seen as that like oh you should have it all together and you should be just 
tough it out and just you know it's that, it's that real hard enough it's yeah. that real hard enough message and unfortunately that is so backwards because the, why why harden up like why why don't we talk about your feelings and actually like address what's going on like you know so that's why there's um is it like richie hardcore i love that he like is very much into that whole you know embracing and talking about your emotions and getting that stuff out because it's all gonna like fester otherwise and then it's gonna come out in other ways and whether that comes out in other ways of feeling like you know too stressed because you're working too much and you're you know not um taking having enough rest and then you're overeating or that you're like you said over exercising or you're doing something because someone else says it's a good idea mm. you know you're not honoring yourself and i think that it's a really massive area where men don't talk about it and men just don't talk about it like women women are really good because <laughs> women talk and like yeah you know women yeah, get yeah, together yeah. and it's that very much um, empower women and, and <coughs> strong women and all that but what about men like why is and we've talked about how you know social me- media can amplify um, <laughs> expectations I guess or these comparison things mm. I think it probably does like that as well to stigmas like mm. it can amplify stigmas um, it's definitely going a long way to breaking some of that yeah. down yeah. you know like I, you, you mentioned Richie um, which I'm stoked I'm going to be catching up with as well oh, for an he's, episode. He's cool, uh, um, yeah. But you know, even like, thing. you know, like as much as he is a big burly dude who loves to work mm. out, you know, The Rock is a very vulnerable, you know, sort yeah. of dude. He talks about, That's you know, right. his relationship with his mum and the shit yeah. he's been through and he yeah. cries a lot on yeah. on the social and stuff like that. It's just real kind of refreshing. To it see. is. And, I, and it's cool to see that and hopefully there's more of that. Mm. Um, but that's all quite new. That hasn't been happening for that long, you yeah. know, when you really think about it. And so for so long there's that, there's that conditioning of years and years where where men are kind of, you know, this is the way it should be, this is what society expects of you. And so, you know, if you're not doing that, then somehow you're failing. And it's like, no, you're not. But that's just what that expectation is is put. Well, it's a, I don't even know if it's an expectation, but it's just that that's just the way it's been, you know. And so therefore... It's, it's been it's the a, norm. It's a hard thing to break into, yep. yeah, I'd say. Social norms always hard to change. Social norms are huge, really hard to change, really hard to and change. It takes a massive shock and a revolution, and yep. whoever's trying to instigate that change is often, you know, burnt at the stake and yeah, called absolutely. all sorts of things. It's not till later yeah. on they go, oh, actually, that person was right. Yeah, that's right. And there's just always going to be, um, you know, discussions around that sort of, thing where there's always going to be someone who's doesn't agree with it and then someone who's really you know into it. you're always going to have that sort of um conflict i think yeah i don't think it's gonna yeah it takes it takes a lot to change stuff like that a lot of consistency a lot of consistency and a lot of strong people that are willing to put themselves out there Go through the hell. Yeah. but a role play then because yeah. we've talked a bit about meditation yeah and i'm glad okay. you brought it up yeah because it's hard for me. I, I guess I'm that annoying friend that recommends it and people ask how to do it and I just say, just do it. Like, yeah, just just do it. But do you have any kind of practical advice? So like, what I mean by role play, like say, yeah. I've never, let's pretend I've never done it okay. before. Sure. Yeah, and I'm coming to you and I say, I want to start. Yeah. How do I start? Okay, so the way that I recommend people, and the way that I'll explain it to a client, for instance, is I'm like, when you start meditating, you're going to have a mishmash you're gonna, it's gonna be mishmash. You're not gonna get into it and find zen light space and gonna be like, oh my god, this is amazing, which is what people sort of have in vision in their head that they're gonna be free of thought 
and they're gonna be zinged out and it's all gonna be amazing. And the fact of the matter is, meditation doesn't work like that, is that it takes time. It takes a lot, it's a practice and it takes time and you gotta be patient with yourself. So normally what I recommend, I actually normally recommend the um, Oprah and Deepak meditations. Okay. So you can go to chopracenter.com and um, they often offer like a 21 day free um, app, so it's on an app. Okay. And for the first five minutes, uh, you'll hear Oprah will chat, and then Deepak, Deepak Chopra. If no one knows Deepak, Deepak Chopra is amazing, um, total spiritual guru. But he's just so good. And so they talk about um, the intention for that meditation that day, like okay. um, whatever it may be, whether it's that. Um, <clears throat> like they were talking the other day about. Uh, you know, when you walk into a room, you exert a certain energy and about getting that, you know, making sure that your energy is actually present. So you're present with your energy and you're not just distracted and like, you know, walking into a room and then thinking about that other person that, you know, just be present and just be there. Um, and so basically, yeah, so you're doing that intention for the day and then he gives you a mantra to say and you say it to yourself through the meditation, which... You say it when you start getting distracted because your your thoughts will, you're always gonna have thoughts come. So thoughts are always gonna come and go. It's kind of like think of them like cloud thoughts. It's like clouds moving on by. Mm -hmm. So just think your your thoughts are gonna come and go. And when your thoughts come, and if you start marinating on it and making it a story because you saw this person there and they didn't talk to you and now they you know don't like you or you know you know we start making yep. the stories up. The mantra is really good. You just say that and you keep repeating it to yourself, just in your head, and it helps to like just move that thought away. So then you just because that's going to happen. And then over time, when you do the more that you do it, you're like strengthening your spiritual muscle, so to speak. It's like you don't go into the gym and just pick up like <laughs> the you know the the sixty kilo bar. You have to start with the ten and work up to that, right? You know you don't just start like lifting heavy weights. And it's sort of the same with meditation. You don't just go into it and then it's all just figured out for you. You have to start small. And even if it means five minutes and you just sit with an app, you know, there's so many apps now. There's, I mean, you can just sit with yourself, yeah. really, just for five minutes, close your eyes and, and be just what, you know, you're going to have thoughts. The thing is that most people go, I say to them, have you meditated? I tried, but I couldn't stop my thoughts. And I'm like, we're not meant to stop our thoughts because our thoughts are going to come all the time. We have thoughts. That's at the end of the day we that's how our mind works. We have thoughts. You can't stop them. But when you get better at meditation, the more you do it, the more that you consistently commit to the practice and that you do meditation, you have you have pauses and moments within your meditation practice where you don't get the thoughts. And that's when you get those little moments of clarity and little moments of bliss it's so relaxing it's so relaxing <laughs> it's literally like having a drug after i to me like when i meditate now i feel like it's like i just feel like i've had a drug like a really good drug yeah. <laughs> but you know like it feels really amazing and i afterwards i'm like oh my god like why did i ever resist this you know if i've had a couple of days off and i've been like oh, i don't want to meditate today. i don't want to meditate today and i've and i've resisted and i don't want to do it um, and then I like make myself do it the next day. So I'm like, come on, Michelle, get in the meditation chair and just do it. Um, I just come back out of it and I'm like, this is the best thing ever. Why would I even want to stop this? But you know, it, it's very easy. Life gets in the way and we find excuses and reasons why we don't need to do it. But I always just come back to like, 
come back to your breath. What are some of the big barriers that people suggest to you when they give it a go? The one that I always get from friends is, um, I tried, but then I'd think about stuff, and yeah. then I'd think about more, and so I just gave up. Yeah, well, that's a, that's pretty much what most people say, oh, yeah. because it's, and that is what happens, like, and so you have to sit with it. So if you're sitting there and that happens, you that's fine. That, you know, there's no doing it wrong. Like, yeah. You just have to sit with it and be patient and just do it again the next day and do it again the next day and not not get caught up on, yeah, I was thinking about this because that is what meditation is. You are going to have thoughts all the time and it's not trying to empty yourself of those thoughts because that's, that's then trying to control it and you're mm. not trying to control it. So to me, it's you, you're wanting to observe those thoughts. Those thoughts come and they go and you just let them come and go as opposed to trying to control them because... You don't need to control them. And I mean, a lot of people are like, I don't have time to, they've got probably time. It's another one. People like, Depends I don't on. have time to meditate. You know, get resistance from clients. Like, I don't have time to meditate. Just, what else can I do? And I'm like, well, you need to meditate. Like, if you're not going to meditate, <laughs> like, we can't work together. Because to me, I believe if you're not doing some form of um, meditation or prayer or something that you are sitting with yourself for longer than, you know, between five to 20 minutes, I, I, I try and meditate for 20 to 30 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. But if you're not sitting with yourself and giving yourself that pause and that time to just sit with your thoughts and be with your own self, um, I think it's kind of like not having a shower. And I say that in a way that like we have a shower every day to wash our body because it gets dirty. Mm-hmm. Well, our thoughts and our mind and we get dirty every day with people and things and life, you know. And so meditation is like having a shower for your for your mind. It showers it. Yeah. So to me, it's like you know, it's just as important. Like our mind being showered is just as important as our body being showered. Cool. In fact, I think it's more important. But anyway, you know, <laughs> it depends on how dirty you get. <laughs> That's just a common thing I wanted to yeah talk to you about because I know like everyone brings it up and I battle to explain it because I I resisted for ages mm. and it sounds like you did too. Yeah, I was like, no, oh I'm my god, god I don't want to do so it. Long. Sitting with yourself, that's yeah. stupid. Yeah. Um, but man, what a game changer! Yeah, it's a massive game changer. It is. I get emails from clients that have been doing it and they're like, it is like magic. It is. It is the one thing that it just brings you back to yourself. Mm. And it brings you back to your intention and what you want going forward. And helping to, like, dull out the noise of the world, really. Because you're always going to have noise, other people's opinions, and what you should and shouldn't do, and, you know. I think it helped me to realise, like, thoughts are just thoughts, there's no wrong or right. That's right. thoughts. Absolutely. It's funny, you know, you mentioned the analogy of clouds. Mm. Mm. For me, I kind of... um, I, th- I think of the Matrix or the scene where oh, the guy's totally. getting the, the gun shot at him and he dodges all those bullets. Yeah. Like, for me, that's kind of how it feels. Like, yeah. But not that quick, but the slow, yeah, the the slow, slow motion. Ones, the slow motion. So the coming just like, yeah, that yeah. doesn't matter. That yeah. doesn't matter. That that's doesn't a really matter. good analogy. That, that is, that that's is what, what I think is. of. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So I want to ask as well, like, you know, if I just look at my notes, I can see all sorts of stuff, you know, we've covered... You know, depression, anxiety, yeah. alcoholism, all sorts of things. What do you think it's all taught you at the end of the day? It's taught me, what, one thing that I have learned is that um, no matter who you are, what you look like, what race you are, what, what size you are, what financial status you have, um, 
how you look externally to the world, everyone has some kind of pain going on mm. in some way. And that to not judge, just to not judge anyone based on their appearance or what you think that they, you know, listen, and listen to your gut, like listen to your intuition, but you can only really listen to your intuition when you go internal. But I think it's just taught me to be just more compassionate, more loving, and just to give people time that give you the time, you know? Yep. And um, yeah, I think it's just taught me really how resilient I am. And that you never stop learning. Do you think as well, like from a lot of people, and maybe you don't, but a lot of people I speak to, they have a lot of life experience, or they go through a lot of stuff. They develop some pretty, what other people would call weird idiosyncrasies, or things that you mm-hmm. kind of believe in or pay attention to, if mm-hmm. any that people think are strange. Like if I give you an example, me, I do my best to not write with blue pens. Oh. <laughs> I, I don't know you what. Don't like no, don't like blue pens. I do my. I'll find a black pen, a red pen. Yeah. I don't write with blue pens. Yeah. Um. It's. I don't say it's a good luck or a bad luck thing, but I just. I maybe it's associated traumas. I don't yeah. know, but I know things have happened, or yeah. I, it reminds me of stuff when wow. I wrote with blue pens. So wow, I wrote with that pen. But is there like stuff that you not maybe not that extreme, but is there stuff oh, that that you do so you've mentioned even meditation and, and yeah. journal, journaling yeah. is there kind of weird things that you do that people wouldn't expect like do you drink coffee or? no I don't drink coffee at all I don't drink coffee I don't drink alcohol um I'm got pigment tea I have pigment I have pigment tea like three four five times a day <laughs> I so, love pigment tea so why no coffee no coffee because it, it increases my anxiety okay and gives me migraines Simple. So, two good enough reasons to not drink it. I miss it like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> like I love the taste of coffee. Um, I can't even have decaf. It does. It does the same to me. Like um, migraines, unfortunately, are not very forgiving in terms of um, uh, alcohol, coffee, dark chocolate, those sorts of things. So I have to be very careful with. I've got to be really careful with stimulants. I'm very easily stimulated. <laughs> if I have too many stimulants, I'm just like bouncing off the walls in not a good way. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I'm just trying to think of anything that makes me, I don't know, I think we all have quirky things, don't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's all good if you can't think of any at the moment, but I just know a lot. There'll be something you'll probably think of at three, will, three in the morning. I'll be like, oh, and you'll that's message right, me, you'll be like, oh, that's right, I bloody, I don't only drink out of my left hand or something. Yeah, like yeah. Um, oh my god, I can't even think. We've stumped you. Yeah, but you that, but yeah, that never yeah, happens. Yeah, no, I'm not easily stumped. <laughs> I'm just trying to think. I, yeah. <laughs> the most shallowest question I'll ask you yeah. of the day, you know, I've had yeah. some pretty good yarns. Yeah. Um, how'd you get into sewing? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> sewing. Well, it's not shallow. Like, I think that's a good question. I mean, I've been doing, I've had my sewing business for over 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I learned as a kid. My mum was a seamstress and... Both of my nanas were, and it's all of my family, so lots of lots of sewers in the family. And I probably started sewing when I was about five, so quite young. Um, and I'd make like dolls' clothes and stuff like that. And then as I went through my teenage years, I'd be like, you know, buy something from the op shop and redo it or do something to it. And I was very much rip shit and bust, like in terms of yeah how I would do stuff with sewing and zero finesse oh my god like I did not care what I look on the inside I just cared how it looked on the outside and then as I 
um, I actually got made redundant from my job um, when the recession hit and that's what led me into starting my business with sewing because um, there was actually not a lot of great, jo well, great jobs out there and I was like, well, surely there's a bit of a market for people that need their clothes fixed. You know, it's a recession, people aren't going to be buying new stuff that much. True. Everyone thought I was completely nuts starting a business in a recession. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe I was, but I just built it really, really slowly and um, I got really good at old fashions and I was no longer rip shit and bust. I was very much like very, you know, very good at what I, 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 I realised that I was actually really good at something like that, you know, because um, academically I didn't really excel that well in a lot of areas just with school. I didn't pay enough, like I said, you know, with what was going on, I never really paid enough attention and didn't really pursue anything um, in that. Um, I am actually going to be going back to uni next year, so that's interesting. Crazy. But, um, yeah, I sewing is something that, I don't know, it just came so naturally to me, and I just loved it. It was like my creative outlet, and I got to make something if I wanted to make something for myself. And yeah, and then it just, I turned it into a business, and over 10 years later, I've got, it's obviously I've had time off because I've just had double hip surgery, which has been pretty intense. Crazy. But, um, yeah, I'll be getting back into it in the next couple of weeks. What was going on with the hips? Oh, yeah, so um, <laughs> I had, um, most people think, oh, hip surgery at like 38, it's so young, but... Um, I've got a friend who's 22 and she's just had... Oh, so, wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, um, I had um, hypermobility in my hips, so basically, you know, the, the flexibility range for your hips should be 45 degrees and mine was 90. Oh, shivers. So crazy hypermobility in my hips. So that means like your tips could go... Go out by 90. Yeah, nuts. Yeah, nuts, like nuts. Um, and most people would think, oh, that's not a bad problem. You know, because like yoga, you can get into lots of yoga moves. Well, but it's not, I it's, guess, a bad problem, but it's just not how the body's meant to function, right? Yeah, it's kind of like the rubber band. Like if you think of your ligaments, like your rubber, it's like the rubber band had lost all its stretch. And so therefore it was just flopping out. And if you... If I left it probably too much longer, it can start dislocating and stuff like that. So um, what they do is they actually pleat the ligament and they sew over it and they fixed um, tears, so they call labral tears, which are in the hips and they often get torn when people play hockey and stuff like that. Like a lot of people damage their labral, um, the, the labrum in their hips. So they repaired those. So yeah, I've only, that only just happened, yeah, eight weeks. Oh no, it's been 10, 10 weeks since I had my first hip and then six weeks since I had my other hip. Yeah, and it's three months recovery per hip, so I'm still very much in the recovery. So I've caught you at a good right. time, because yeah, you, you strike me as a person who's go, go, go. Oh, so, yeah, well, I am very go, 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 and it has been very hard to actually just sit still. I've been doing a lot of knitting. Oh, yeah? Knitting, what have you been yeah. making? I've been knitting, I've been knitting, I've knitted three jumpers and some slippers, and <laughs> yeah, like, I'm fully into the knitting. Have, have, you, have you started beanies yet? No, I no, I haven't. I can't, I mean, uh, pretty easy. I went straight into jumpers. I always like to tackle like uh, the hard yeah. stuff. <laughs> I was like straight into it. But um, it's been really good. I really actually really enjoy it. That's why I decided to do it in winter, like get the surgeries in winter, because um, I knew that I would just oh, go man. nuts in summer because yeah. like, I'm such a beach person. And For I me, just... it's hard enough getting a tattoo in summer. <laughs> You're not allowed to go in the water and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. So yeah, having I'm surgery. Such a water baby. Yeah, so I was just like, oh, nah. So um, yeah, winter. So I've just been hunkering down. I I get on my cycle um, every day for between an hour and two a day at the moment just for recovery because it helps with pain relief. Yep. So, um, and then I'm actually heading up to Auckland tomorrow to get an injection 
in my left hip because it's not recovering as well and so they're going to give me an injection which will help speed up the healing process I've just had a bit more pain with that one than I did with my right but such is life yeah. I don't know how you just roll with it things. you're just going to roll with it my surgeon is amazing um, he's in Auckland he's just been brilliant so yeah cool very very lucky that I um, could get it done because you know um I probably, you know, if I was in the public health system here, there's no way I would have been able to get done. So I luckily had private health insurance and and was able to to, to get it. So, yeah, I kind of, like I said, feel actually like I always always say to myself, like, check your privilege. Like, I just check my privilege that I can actually do that. And I was able to take some time off work and recover. And, yeah, Sweet. yeah. Awesome. So, look, we've covered, obviously, quite a bit. But yeah, we have. The, the question that I always ask people... Uh, before they rock and roll. It's the only question that I consistently ask. Yeah. Um, is like, there's someone listening right now who's mm-hmm. going through a bit of strife. Yeah. Um, what would your advice be to help turn things around and, and come through at the other end? Mm. Yeah. Um, I would just say to obviously find someone that you can talk to because I think that's really important, whether that's if you can't afford to go and see a therapist, then go to your doctor and get, they, you know, they often can give you um, uh, vouchers to actually see someone to talk to. Which um, a lot of people don't know. A lot of people don't know that. So, you know, because therapists are expensive. Mm. I know, I go to one. They are expensive. Um, and But you can go to your doctor and you can get vouchers. I think you get a referral for three or four appointments. Yeah, three or four appointments. So um, that's one of, I think, a massive thing is talking to someone. Like, if you can't talk to someone, you it's... You feel very isolated. Um, often when you are in strife and you're in um, situations that feel impossible and hard, um, we tend to isolate ourselves more and that actually just breeds the problem. Yeah. You know, it's that whole um, disconnection sort of breeds isolation, I'd say. Um, so it's, it's getting yourself out there into the community or doing something... Um, and it depends on what sort of strife you're talking about, I guess. Like, I always find sometimes if it's, like, really intense stuff, I mean, you know, there's always going to be different opinions of what you can do. But I always just, like, um, acts of, to me, acts of service is really good because it helps you get out of your own head, out of your own, like, way, really. Because sometimes we can be very in our own little bubble, in our own little world thinking that everything's happening to us and it's really bad and like sometimes getting out there and realizing you know other people are going through some tough stuff too and um if you can put yourself out there and connect with other people and like i said acts of service whether that means you're going and spending time with um i don't know some old people from a retirement village or you just whatever like it doesn't need to be anything in particular or just reaching out and like talking to a friend like Getting yourself out of your own head, because I think often when we are in that strife mode, we're very, world is everything's that, like you said before, everything's happening to us. And it's like, you know, the world is, it can seem like a really, um, you know, negative space when you're in that. And it's really not like, it's about your, you know, opening yourself up to be expansive and connect with other people. And like I said, meditate, obviously that's really good, but sometimes when people are in that real, strife mode that's the last thing that they're going to feel like they could even do um so that's why i say like you know talk to people get out there and connect connect with someone um i think that it's just really important 
if you're not connecting with people then you're in isolation and you're feeling like you're you're ta- you feel like you're taking on the world all by yourself and that's really scary you know because we're not we're not really meant to live by ourselves mm. you know we're not meant to be in isolation by ourselves all the time um so yeah that would be my recommendation cool <laughs> and where can people find you and things like that and what have you got coming up that you want people to know about or there's any events that you're running or um yeah i am um well, basically, I'm. You can find me at michellemartangi or on my Instagram is at michellemartangi, um, and I'm basically I offer coaching. So I'm doing coaching with women, which um, or I could do men as well, but I tend to women seem to um, flow to me easily, um, and. Yeah, I just do coaching at the moment. I've got a couple of things in the works, but I can't say them because I'm not allowed. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, like you can just contact me. Um, hello, hello at com or yeah, through my Instagram. I'm pretty accessible. I'm pretty chatty and you know approachable. <laughs> cool. Is there any final thought that you want to leave anyone with, or is there anything you want to say before I let you rock and roll? Um, I just say that um, just, you know, no matter what you're going through, whether it's, um, you know, your own health or um, trauma that you're working through or dealing with other people is um, just be kind to yourself. Just give yourself some compassion. We're so hard on ourselves. We're so critical and often, you know, that whole comparing, we can be very, you know, can you be quite nasty to ourselves? It's just... You know, don't speak to yourself um, so harshly because, you know, think about you wouldn't speak to a friend like that. And, you know, learning to love yourself is a huge thing. Um, I believe that self-love comes from self-care. And self-care is generally doing the things that you need to show up for. So um, that means little little things like, I don't know, for a woman that would mean maybe doing some, um, taking your makeup off at night or putting makeup on in the morning or whatever it is that, you know, maybe you're not doing or to make yourself feel better, um, meditating, going, running a bath, filling your own cup. It's that whole thing, like fill your cup first. And that self-love will, will breed because you're actually putting that effort into yourself and you're showing up for yourself. There it is, episode 13 for the Best Side podcast, catching up with Michelle Martangi. I know a lot of people are going to get a lot out of that corridor, especially with the practical tips uh, on how to meditate, center yourself, uh, but also a lot of the conversation around being selfless or selfish, sorry, in order to be selfless, how to fill up your own cup in order to be pouring into other people's later on down the track in the long term. we got to take care of number one, Nefano. Also, since our conversation uh, when we caught up initially, Michelle's actually become part of a collective as well called the Girls Minds Matter. Uh, it's a pretty epic movement which is going down. Make sure you check them out on social. Uh, they're actually going to be a physical space uh, which is going to be coming about. You might have noticed, if you already knew that Michelle was part of that, that she might not have mentioned it. That was because this quarter all actually took place a little bit before uh, that idea was kind of public knowledge. So, yeah, there it is. 
stoked to have her on board and stoked to be doing some more mahi of those girls from Girls Minds Matter a little bit further down the track. Episode 13, done and dusted. We've got more where that come from. This is getting exciting. People coming out the woodworks and starting to share their stories. So make sure you keep it locked in. We're going to be back here. Same time, same channel. You know what it is. Beside.